0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Well, it is uh, my privilege to bring the word of the Lord this morning. We are walking through uh, the book of Psalms as actually as a church. We, at the beginning of the month, encourage everybody to try and read three psalms a day for the entirety of August, and then by the end of August, you'll have read all 150 of them. And then we're doing some, uh, in our Sunday gatherings, walking through some select psalms together. You know, in another season of life, I worked as a a digital marketer, and it's a fancy word for saying advertiser, uh, for a software company. And, you know, when you look at Marketing in general, the goal is to get people to remember to think about your product when they need that type of product, right? Or maybe when they don't need it, um, just to get them to think about it and make them want to buy it. And when you look at marketing kind of in general, some of the most powerful tools for getting people to think about your product, actually, I'd say one of the most powerful tools is song. Think about this, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hum something. You tell me if you recognize it. Anybody know that one? Nationwide, right? Or how about this? ba 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 Everybody like want to run make, make a run for some fries right now? Right. Songs are powerful, right? Uh, they they connect with uh, our emotion, with our brain in a in a way that um, other things don't. And songs are powerful because they remind us of often of the past. And they maybe even evoke um, emotion from the past like like nothing else can. Songs are unifying. That's why we sing on Sunday. When we proclaim who God is together, one of the most powerful ways, and also one of the easiest ways to be in unison, is through song. So songs are unifying. Last year, I I was absolutely floored when the NFL decided to play a game in Germany. I believe it was the it was the city of Munich. And at one of the breaks in the game, they began to play a very famous American song called Country Road. You know this song, right? 75,000 fans in the stadium. I'm sure there was some some American expats that had gone to the game, but a majority of the fans were German. They didn't grow up singing English or speaking English and And most of them probably didn't grow up listening to a lot of American music, although some of it's international. But when that song played, almost as one, 75,000 fans began to sing, country road, take me home to the land. The crazy part is, where? where? West Virginia, they all sang, (laughs) where I belong. Songs are powerful. They, They evoke something in us. They bring us together. They remind us of the past, and they are unifying. For you, what songs do that for you? What songs remind you of the past? What, what songs evoke meaningful emotions for you? The reason I ask this is as we walk through the Psalms, the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. 150 Psalms. And the Psalms do the, are meant to do the same thing that any song does. They remind us of the past. The original authors wrote them as a way to process their emotions in the moment, the circumstances of life that they would go through, and of course, they serve as a reminder of who God is in the midst of all that, and who we are as his people. So last week, I encouraged you to sit somewhere different as we read Psalm 14 together, and if you were with us some of you sat in a, in a different country, in a different scenario, a different situation, as you read Psalm 14. This week's psalm, Psalm 23, uh, I want to invite you to go for a walk. This is a very familiar psalm. Psalm 23 is, is, um, is familiar, I think, especially because of one of the opening lines, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I lack for nothing, depending on your translation. And, and as this opening line for so many of us does, it, it, it evokes this kind of, this setting that takes place in a peaceful grassland where sheep are gently buying. But if you read closely, it's clear that there's also a lot of danger, a lot of discomfort, threats on either side. There's, there's plenty of reason to be fearful And so this week, as we read Psalm 23, I want you to take notice of where this walk is taking place and who we walk with in it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 23. If you don't have your Bible, there are some right in front of you in the pew. Or if you have a phone, I'm sure you can tap and scroll to one pretty quick. Psalm 23, but I do want everybody to turn there because I'm going to give you a moment to reflect on a psalm that you might be too familiar with. And if you're not, then to get acquainted with it for the first time. And I want you, as you take a walk, to notice again where this walk is taking place, what is happening in in the scenarios that are painted here, and who the walk is with. So take just a moment, read these six verses to yourself, and then we'll walk through it together. Psalm 23 starts out saying, The Lord is my shepherd. If you've read the Bible, you know that there's actually quite a few very famous shepherds in Scripture. One of the first shepherds that we meet is a guy named Abram, who was kind of minding his own business when he caught God's attention. And God said to Abram, he said, It is through you that I am going to bring salvation to humanity. And Abram's name would be changed to Abraham. God would make a promise to Abraham that it was through his descendants, eventually known as the people of Israel, the Jewish people, that the Messiah would be born, that salvation would come to all people. Abram, a lowly shepherd chosen by God. Another shepherd that we see is a man named Moses. Moses, who was orphaned from a young age, raised as a king, exiled from his kingdom because of his own sinful behavior, and out in the wilderness tending sheep, he meets God. And it is there where God first reveals his name to Moses. When asked who Moses should say sent him, It is in that moment that God speaks his name, Yahweh, to Moses. And so actually everywhere in Scripture that you see Lord capitalized, L-O-R-D, all four letters capitalized behind that word, that English word, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And so we see that in Psalm 23. The Lord, Yahweh, God himself, is my shepherd. And of course, one of the... Other famous shepherds from Scripture is the one who wrote this psalm, King David. The youngest of eight sons, and out of his family would be chosen the next king of Israel. And the prophet Samuel shows up at David's family's doorstep, and he goes through all of the sons, one after another after another, and each one is not the chosen one. And he asks at the end, do you have no more sons? And his father, Jesse, says, well, I have one more, but it couldn't be him. (laughs) The youngest, he's out tending sheep. David comes in from the field, and he's chosen as the next king of Israel. So the imagery of a shepherd is throughout Scripture. And the imagery of a shepherd is used, actually, um, very often in ancient world. to depict various leaders as well. Sometimes even kings in the ancient world were described as shepherds because a shepherd, while in one sense is very humble in their role, uh, the responsibility of a shepherd are weighty. Think of what a shepherd is responsible for, really the livelihood of the family to provide, to protect, and to guide the flock. And shepherds can never clock out. If a shepherd falls asleep on the job, there's a chance that the very flock he was supposed to protect will be devoured by wolves or bears or lions or whatever it would be. So again, while in one sense it's fairly humble, the responsibilities of a shepherd are very important. And so the Lord is our shepherd. When Jesus describes himself later on in John chapter 10, verse 10, He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So as a former shepherd, now King David is writing this particular song, this psalm, and he's reflecting on the journey that he's been on in his life so far, because what songs do what? They, they connect us to, to something emotionally that's, that's true and that's happened in the past. And, and so for David, maybe he's remembering um, times where God met him as he feared about provision for his life. And God provided, right? He led him into what? To green pastures. God provided him. Maybe David's remembering times when he was heartbroken, And felt empty inside. And God revived him. You leave me beside quiet waters. Maybe David's remembering times where he was afraid for his life, and God protected him. Take me through the darkest valley. As we read David's reflections, they're all under the banner of verse one. The Lord provides. He gives me everything that I need. God has always provided. Psalms 23 makes us wonder, can we say the same thing in our life? Does God always give me everything I need? Does he provide for me? Again, not that there won't be tough times or times of fear and uncertainty, But in those times, are we aware of the shepherding of God? Are we aware that he is with us? Pastor Tony Evans says this. He says, some Christians have trusted God to save them for eternity, but they don't have much confidence that he could provide for them in history. In other words, in the moments that they're living in. God can, and he will, if... He is our good shepherd. If we can say, like David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, when we look at Psalms 23, we see that the central figure in this psalm is Yahweh, but the attention of Yahweh is directed somewhere, isn't it? It's directed at at David. And so David can say to him in verse 4, I don't know why this keeps going back to the beginning every time I try and... (laughs) Um, He can say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's attention is on David as the good shepherd. Have you ever wondered maybe why these things are, two things are included that kind of sound the same and how do they bring comfort? How does a rod and a staff bring comfort? This is where culturally (laughs) we're a little far removed from the, the imagery that's being used here of God. And so as as I was looking into this, they are two different things in the ancient world. The rod would be uh, like a club-like thing that a shepherd would have in his waist. It would often be used as a weapon for protection. The staff, what you would typically think of for a shepherd, would be like a walking stick. And it could also be used for protection, but it was most often used uh, for guidance and correction. Because sheep really aren't that smart. (laughs) And so as the shepherd would be walking, guiding them to a particular area to graze, he would give them a little tap on the butt. Or sometimes he would walk ahead of them because the sheep eventually would get to know the shepherd so well that he would be the one that they would follow. If you saw uh, some weeks ago, I was talking about this imagery and I showed a video of a, a trail runner in France who ran by some sheep and They saw her as an authoritative figure, (laughs) and they thought we should follow her. And so a flock of 100 sheep followed her as she went along her run. That's sheep, right? So the rod and the staff, they indicate a a relationship between the shepherd and his sheep, one of protection and one of guidance. They also indicate a closeness that is necessary, because neither of those things are useful if you're not next to the shepherd. Of the flock, if you're not in the middle of them. So they're useless unless you're close to the shepherd. Not too long ago, I was helping one of my kids learn how to swim a little bit in the lake. And we went to just the point where this particular child couldn't touch, so that there was a sense of actual swimming. And as I was showing kind of the different strokes to do, I said, okay, I want you to swim out from me. And then when I say stop, I want you to turn around and swim back to me. And so they swam out, did pretty well, and turned around. And as soon as they saw the distance between the two of us, the, eye, the, the, the eyes got big. You know that look, right? Panic. Which is what? The worst thing you can do when you're trying to learn how to swim is panic. Because all mechanics and everything just go out, and you begin to quickly... Sink. Some of you that aren't good swimmers, like me, uh, can, can relate to that. And so, what I said in that moment, I said, "Do not panic. Continue to do what you need to do, and, and keep your eyes on me." This is that idea of what what it means to be close to God. That when there is so many things that could go wrong, so many fears that overwhelm us, that we are in the sights of the Shepherd. And so, again, as much as Psalm twenty three is about Yahweh, we see that His View His desire, his attention is focused on us. Later on, Jesus in his ministry would look out at a huge crowd of people that had come to hear him speak. And one of the things that he said to them as he looked out on this crowd with compassion is he said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. They had assembled there in front of him, They were close to him, but they did not belong to him. And there are a lot of people today that, as Pastor Tony Evans said, believe in Jesus for their eternity, but don't believe in him for their day-to-day life. They are near Jesus, but they aren't with him. Jesus isn't their, their shepherd. I'll tell you about, I don't know about you, but one of the ways that I know that I'm too far from God is when I feel overwhelmed by fear and worry. It's really easy to do because there's so many things that I am not in control of. (laughs) So Jesus desires for us to know his rod and his staff, to know his protection and his guidance. But it takes us saying like David did, you are my shepherd. I belong to you. As David's reflection continues in this psalm, it actually shifts off this kind of shepherd motif, and the scene changes to verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And we see three things in this imagery. First, we see that there's an invitation to sit at a table despite threats of harm, despite threats of harm, that God is offering provision and protection. And we see, number two, that there's not just a seat at the table, but there is a, a place of honor at that seat at the table. That's what the anointing of oil represents. In the ancient world, when, when guests would come over, they'd remove their sandals, they'd wash their feet, and then those honored guests would be offered um, oil, like a type of oil that would, that would uh, act as like a, almost like a perfume and a lotion all in one. And it would be this idea of like, you are welcomed in as a place of honor in my home. And then the third thing we see that when we're in God's presence, there is always more than enough. There's a picture of like a buffet here. How many of you like buffets? I, I buffets are dangerous for me because I have like this, I feel this moral responsibility to keep eating. It's like ho- holiday meals are like that, because most holiday meals are like a buffet, right? Everybody brings stuff to contribute. And I know as the meal goes on, I'm like, well, there's still a lot of food left. I feel bad for everybody that brought it. I better keep eating. <laughs> but I love that picture. I love the picture that that God is it, that in God's presence, it's not like, well, you only deserve so much. It's you get it all. You're an honored guest, and everything I have is yours. So again, the central figure here still is God, his invitation into his home, at his table. But he extends this invitation. He's invited us into it. He anoints, he provides, but God's attention is still on us. And I hope you know this morning that God sees you in the same way. I mentioned earlier the famous shepherds in the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, David, all these shepherds that were seemingly living in obscurity, and God saw them. He knew their names. so interesting when we think about this shepherd motif throughout Scripture. And we come to the arrival of God himself into history, into humanity. And who does God choose to announce his arrival to first? Shepherds. Shepherds on the night watch. So don't ever believe the lie that you have to do something special or be someone different for God to take notice of you. For God to care about your life, your circumstance. Whether it's in Kenya, as we just heard reported about, or in Renton. God sees you. He has a place at the table for you. If you will let him be your shepherd. If you will call him Yahweh, Lord. And so we see this in Psalm 103 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So I want to make this a little personal. Elijah, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, you and me. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Chuck behind the soundboard. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This is so true of us. God wants us to know how he sees us. His affection is for us. And so with all of this in mind, we see that there's this pursuit. Because of all of these things about who God is, we can say with David, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because Yahweh is my shepherd, because I walk with God, because he walks with me, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Of the Lord forever. What is following us? God's goodness and His love, His goodness and His his mercy. And the idea of following here is like a pursuit, It's it's a chasing after. If we were talking about enemies following us, this kind of pursuit would be like persecution. It would be like being hounded by them. And so we see from the very beginning, we see these enemies, we see this this valley of death, and we see this transformation that happens. When God is our shepherd, we are going to be pursued but his pursuit of goodness and love. His goodness and his love, it hounds us. if you're not maybe familiar with that idiom, that English idiom, the idea of being hounded by something, it's related to a type of dog called a bloodhound that once it gets the scent, it can track anything. In fact, there's this YouTuber, his name is Mark Rober, where he recently tested, uh, he's, a, he's a NASA engineer. He tried to test and figure out, is there a way to elude these types of dogs that have these, this sniffing ability? And he put his, his genius to the, to the test to see. okay, there's gotta be some way that this dog won't be able to find me. I'll run through a creek. I'll put pepper down, I'll create distraction, I'll do all of these different things, but in the end, the dog would still find him every single time. Unbelievable. And so this, this imagery, this of, of being followed by the goodness and love of God is like that. He will not let us go. God sees you before you ever choose to make him your shepherd. But once you do make him your shepherd, he will never let you go. He, he, his, his shepherding, his desire to be your shepherd was never dependent on you to begin with. It was always about his love toward you. And so once you say yes to him, he will never let you go. Think about that. Think about as we reflect on Psalm 23, as you think about the, all of the things that have gone wrong in life, all of the things that could go wrong in life, all the things you've done, that contributed to it. Don't change God's love for you. His love pursues you. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that dwelling is not just, a, again, not just a, well, when I die, it's now. He's inviting you into it today. And so when we're with the good shepherd, we can find a complete rest for our souls. A rest that is restorative. A rest that allows us to live where we were always meant to live, in the full goodness and love that Jesus displayed on the cross for us. He is the shepherd that Psalm 23 talks about. One that willingly laid down his life for us so that we could be free. Free from our sin, from our fears, from our worries, and free to live in the house of Yahweh forever. So as we took a walk through Psalm 23 today, I want you to remember two things. Remember that the goodness of God in the past and that same goodness is as much true today for you. That Psalm 23 is about God and his goodness towards you, but it's also about his attention toward you, his intention that you would know him. And number two, if you can't confidently say today that God is your shepherd, I want you to look to Jesus. It's in him that we see the fullness of God, the fullness of Yahweh, And it's only through Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that we can confidently say, Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May this be our song today as we close out our time of worship. Let's pray this together. Would you join me? Father, we, we doubt these things to be true. We are like sheep that often go astray, saying, oh, I, I think I can figure out my life myself. And we leave your protection. We leave your guidance. And then we wonder, what is going on? Why am I so afraid? Why are, do things seem to be collapsing around me? You are the good shepherd. You are the one that leaves the ninety-nine to go after the one. And so this morning, Lord, if there are, if there is one here that has left you, that has said, "No, he's not my shepherd. I can do it myself," but is is lost, is desperate. Would you today, Father, would you bring them back to you, Lord? We think of our friends and our family members that don't know you. We think of our neighbors, Lord, are far from you. May you, Father, in your grace and goodness. Bring them to you May they understand your goodness and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.